Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Today, I'm pleased to have with me on Table Talk, one of Toronto's most successful pizza operators. Rocco Agostino is one of the co-owners of the hugely popular Pizzeria Libretto restaurants. Starting as a dishwasher at Chow Bedla in Woodbridge, Rocco's hunger for food took him first to the Stratford Chef School and then to study abroad in Rome for several years. His first experience leading a kitchen was at Faro Bar Cafe, And from there, he went on to open his own restaurant called The Silver Spoon. Alongside Max Rimaldi, Rocco opened Pizzeria Libretto in 2008, and they've been changing the Toronto pizza landscape ever since. Since opening the neighborhood pizza restaurant, Libretto has served millions of pizzas with each location producing an average 2,000 pizzas a week. So welcome, Rocco, Rocco, to Table Talk, and I'm so happy to have you here with me today. Thank you, Rosanna. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I love your pizza, and uh, you really changed um, the landscape, as I said earlier, of pizza in Toronto um, with, you know, so many different pizza restaurants out there now. But uh, back in the day when you started, you were really one of the very first serving the kind of pizza that you do. So so congratulations on everything you've done in the last uh, in the last several years. Um, obviously, I thought today maybe we would start a little bit just with the history of what you've done on the Toronto pizza landscape and talk a little bit about the concept and what you were really trying to create with that concept when you launched it back in 2008. So tell us a little bit about what fueled that. Max uh, Rimaldi, my partner, had uh, this idea that he wanted to bring a restaurant to his neighborhood. Um, he's uh, more so of the fine dining background and wanted something that is a bit more approachable. Uh, and pizza was the first thing that came to his mind. Uh, he came to me and asked me to partner up with him. Uh, we worked together uh, throughout the, the years. Um, and it was a, a project that uh, came to be uh, where no one in the city was really doing Neapolitan pizza. Um, it was something new uh, and different. Uh, we didn't even know how people would accept it. Um, so it, it was this uh, challenging, exciting challenge to uh, be part of something that was gonna be um, different uh, in the city of Toronto. Right? So, we, so let's talk a little bit about that with Neapolitan yeah. pizza. And obviously it's very popular today. And you, you made an interesting point that you really didn't know how it would be accepted. And Toronto's got a very huge Italian population, um, you know, very obviously um, aware of pizza and all the permutations of it. Even with that, you thought that maybe it wouldn't take off as, as well as, uh, as it did? We were excited about it, but we really didn't know how it would be accepted, right? Uh, we enjoy it, uh, and there was nothing of the sort uh, in Toronto. So, I mean, when you put something new out there, there is that little slight hesitation of, you know, is it going to be accepted? Are people going to enjoy it? Uh, it's really hard to say. But uh, as long as you are behind it and are for it, I think that that's all that matters. And I mean, we we did that, and uh, here we are, twelve years later. 
Right. So, so let's talk a little bit about the differences in the pizza for people who aren't perhaps as familiar with what makes a Neapolitan pizza so different. Okay. Uh, so Neapolitan pizza itself, uh, a few uh, aspects of it, the ingredients themselves, uh, you know, simplicity in the flour, water, salt, and yeast that go into the pizza. We've used a, a starter since the beginning as well in our pizza dough. Uh, which I think sets it uh, apart from uh, a lot of other pizza uh, doughs in uh, the city. Uh, it is baked in a, a wood-burning oven. This oven is set to about uh, 800 degrees, uh, which allows the pizza to bake in uh, less than two minutes. Uh, this is what creates the beautiful uh, crust or cornicione for that matter, uh, with all the blisters uh, on it. Uh, the slight softness in the center, um, you know, so you get those really great fresh flavors from a pizza um, with the, I mean, especially in the margarita pizza, I, it, it's the simplicity of the basil, tomato sauce and cheese uh, that come through in this baking of 90 seconds. Uh, and it, it's absolutely amazing. Um, I'm getting hungry just listening to you, Rocco. <laughs> So, um, so when you started that first concept, I believe that was on Ossington, right? It was. The original location is at uh, 221 Ossington. Uh, and, and that was before Ossington really became like, uh, you know, the it spot for restaurants in Toronto. I think you were kind of on the cutting edge of that time period. Yeah, there wasn't uh, too many uh, restaurants on that strip. Uh, like I said, uh, it was... Uh, uh, not too far from where Max Romaldi uh, was living. So he wanted something close to home. And, you know, the area allowed for uh, an opportunity where, you know, rents weren't th that expensive at that That's time. That's right. So, you know, you get in there and, and take that chance. So how many seats did that restaurant have? That restaurant, uh, about 80 seats. 80, uh, okay. Yeah. And it was open for both lunch and dinner, right? Open for, uh, I believe we started with dinner. Okay. Uh, we got our asses handed to us uh, uh, with service, uh, with the overwhelming response uh, from people. Um, and from there, it, it was like, um, you know, we opened lunch and dinner and we were, were busy uh, from the get-go. Amazing. And, and so fast forward to today, how many pizzeria librettos do you have? Currently, we have um, Ossington location is our original we have the Danforth location, um, mm -hmm. University, uh, University in King, uh, and we just opened um, a location in the Junction, uh, which is just around the corner from where I live, um, so close to home. That's where I'm sitting today. Um, and then we also have our King Street location, um, which uh, is not operational in the sense that uh, it's open for any takeout or delivery, but what we've done is we've turned it into a commissary. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. It, uh, it makes it uh, the, the product, uh, some of the product for the restaurants themselves. Excellent. So, yeah. And when, when did you open that, uh, Rocco? Uh, well, that was, so when we opened it, like COVID in, into a commissary. Yes. Um, so we opened the King Street uh, location into a commissary uh, just after um, COVID. Uh, we, we took the, the first, I think, four weeks off um, in that first month uh, when we were in a lockdown mm -hmm. uh, and then went back in 
to university and sort of uh, try to strategize and work on a game plan and see uh, what we needed to do. Uh, and then from there, uh, we had a few different ideas and we figured this is probably a, a good opportunity to sort of take advantage uh, of a location. It was always something that we uh, discussed, uh, but never something that we sort of follow through on. Interesting. Yeah. So um, with libretto, I mean, are there, you have other concepts in your, under your umbrella as well. I, I believe you still have a few concepts that you have that aren't libretto related. Uh, we, we have uh, Enoteca Sociale. Right. Uh, which was Fabulous our, restaurant. Thank you. Our, our second restaurant that we opened and that, that focuses pasta and sort of the Roman experience that you would have uh, in Italy. Italy. Um, but that's it. Uh, and then the rest are our librettos that uh, we have. We did have a, a concept um, on uh, college. A3. Uh, A3, uh, right. which was also another um, sort of uh, Neapolitan experience that one would have uh, walking down the street uh, where you can uh, walk in, grab uh, a few fried items and yes. uh, continue walking uh, along the, uh, the sidewalk. Um, it, it was just a, a, a concept that, you know, uh, we felt was uh, initially something that uh, we were excited about. But I, I mean, I think for the most part, it, it was something that sort of uh, didn't uh, succeed in the sense that, uh, you know, I, I think the demand wasn't there for it. And Interesting. Looking for something different. Because that's more like street food and casual bites. And... Yeah. And, you know, even with uh, the batalocchios, uh, the right. sort of, uh, large... Uh, deep fried uh, uh, calzones that we yes. would do, which were from phenomenal and, and, and you know, incredible. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it was just one of those items that uh, were was a bit more difficult. So. Okay, interesting. All right, so I, I mean, that really kind of gives everybody a good perspective of, of your focus in business these days. And I guess it's hard to um, have any discussion these days without talking about COVID, because obviously it's thrown the whole restaurant industry upside down. And um, when I look at your concept, because you're running a pizza concept, you know, maybe you're positioned in a better place because during the pandemic, pizza restaurants have actually done fairly well. Uh, it's a good, you know, concept for delivery and um, it's casual and relaxed and, and, you know, something that people love to eat anyway. Has that been the case for you? Have you found that the pandemic, I mean, obviously it's hard for everybody, but has it been a little bit more bearable for you as a pizza restaurant or, or is that wrong? Uh, look, I mean, with COVID itself, I mean, I think um, even in the beginning, I mean, it was difficult. It was the uncertainty of it. I mean, you don't know, you didn't know what was happening in that sense, right? Uh, we went from uh, serving... Uh, guests and their families, you know, in our restaurants to laying off almost 200 people. Incredible. Uh, you know, and not knowing what's, what, you know, is going to happen. Um, but, I mean, pizza is one of those uh, comfort foods that people uh, gravitate to. Um, and especially during these times here. I mean, if they want something that makes them feel good. Uh, I, for one, gravitate to pizza as well. Um, you know, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it's also one of those things where uh, for takeout and delivery, I mean, yes, pizza is a bit uh, a bit more uh, adhered to to that sort of uh, uh, end of it. But for what we were serving, I mean, Neapolitan pizza, 
Uh, does it travel well? It travels okay. I mean, it, it's not the greatest because of I what wondered it, about that. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's one of those products. It's one of those pizzas that the optimal moment to have that pizza is when it comes out of the oven. Exactly. So, and we've done so much, even in the fact of uh, pizza boxes um, and adding, you know, this corrugated uh, liner in it to help the pizza uh, to travel better uh, mm -hmm. at uh, takeout and delivery. Uh, that said, uh, I mean, during these times, you know, we also had to think outside the box and, you know, because it was takeout and delivery, we said, okay, well, what else can we do? Um, you know, so we developed a New York style 16 inch pizza. To go oh, interesting. Uh, we uh, also uh, put on a Sicilian style pizza, which is a, a bit more of a focaccia uh, variation of a, a pizza, a little thicker, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and both these styles of pizzas are cooked a little longer uh, and they travel a little better uh, when it comes to takeout and delivery. Well, that makes sense. And if somebody were ordering the Neapolitan pizza for takeout, would you suggest that they put it in the oven to, you know, to maybe make it a little bit more palatable when, when they get it? How, how do you suggest that they eat that? Because it is, as you say, it doesn't travel as well as some of the other pizzas. Uh, in your car, you take out the slice and you eat it. <laughs> um, you don't make it home is what you're saying. Um, it, on the box itself, there's also heating instructions as far as a, a pizza is concerned. Um, you know, sometimes we cut our pizza in four. Uh, the reason for that, I mean, even with the name libretto, uh, you pick up a slice, you fold it over into a little booklet. Like right. a libretto. Um, but yeah, I mean, for, for heating purposes, I mean, on the box itself, it says, you know, you put it into the oven 450 uh, for a couple of minutes just to reheat through. Right. right? Just to get uh, that better experience. I also am one, and I know that I, I'm going to get people that are going to hate on this, but cold pizza, I, I enjoy. So It's great for breakfast. For sure. Maybe even crack an egg on it. <laughs> So Rocco, um, with, with the new additions that you've had, the new pizzas, what have sales been like for you on those new products? Uh, sales have been good uh, on those products. They don't outweigh the Neapolitan pizza. I mean, that is the backbone of Pizzeria Libretto. Sure. I mean, uh, Pizzeria Libretto is known for, uh, but they've held their own uh, uh, on any given day. We currently feature uh, the Sicilian on a weekly basis where we change the feature uh, up and sort of um, having it uh, more uh, on display for people so that they know that we, ha we do have it mm -hmm. uh, on hand. Uh, and the reaction and feedback has been really good. I mean, Excellent. Even this week's uh, feature is uh, an asparagus pizza, right? Garlic and uh, fresh mint and lemon. So yeah. I really saw that on Instagram, it looked great. Uh, and it's a, a tasty one, so. Yeah, excellent. So, so you mentioned earlier that you had to lay off 200 staff. That's obviously a very hard thing for any operator to have to do. And with your four restaurants that you had, um, are you know how many of those staff are now back? And I know we've been on a roller coaster in Ontario with a lot of lockdowns, but do you have some of these back now? Or I, I would assume not all of them are back, but. No, uh, we don't have all of them back and uh, i mean until we are fully open I, I, there is no possible way of bringing everyone back um we brought back 
uh, I would say 90% of the kitchen staff back, um, you know, management as well. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's been a, a struggle. I mean, especially with how Ontario's been going in and out of these, you know, uh, lockdowns and open and now you're closed again. And, uh, you know, even this past um, session, we were ready and set to have some of the patios opened and uh, called on uh, a couple of the staff members. And before that can even happen, um, we were back in lockdown. So it's been a little difficult. Uh, I think the staff has been really understanding uh, of it. So so were you able with all of your locations, do they have patios? Do all of them have patios? Uh, all of them don't have patios. Um, I think during the summer, uh, Ossington location had the street patio with Cafe TO program. Mm -hmm. um, Danforth as well. Um, it does have a small patio out front. Mm -hmm. uh, took advantage of uh, the uh, street uh, as well. University, it does have a, a really nice patio right on the corner. Uh, of uh, university there and uh, Pearl Street. Um, and then uh, Junction, there is no patio. We were uh, going through the process of adding the, the, uh, the Cafe TO and, and Street uh, patio as well here. So. so you're looking into doing that, I guess, for the summer yeah. if things get better. Definitely. I mean, it, it's a, a, an aspect of the business that we sort of uh, really want to try and... and um, Sure. Take advantage of, right? So, um, Rocco, from from a takeout and delivery point of view, pizza is always obviously one of those foods that uh, gets delivered quite often, and has been for for many years. But during this pandemic, um, obviously, delivery systems have come under attack a little bit with third party aggregators and the high commission or you know caps that they charge, uh, commission rates that they charge. How have you dealt with this issue? Do you have your own delivery? Um, fleet that you use or do you use the third parties to do that? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, we don't have our own fleet. Um, uh, we have discussed, um, but there's a, a lot to sort of look at when it comes to having your own delivery uh, people. Uh, we've fully taken advantage of all the third party uh, aggregates that are out there um, during these times. I mean, I would think that any restaurant, any business um, would need to. Uh, I mean, yes, they charge a lot, but I mean, if we were to take Uber out, which is probably 75% of our uh, sales, wow. uh, you know, given uh, any day, then I mean, where would we, where would we be? Uh, it, it's difficult and, and hard to imagine, right? Sure. Uh, we've uh, taken advantage of even our uh, silverware and online ordering, uh, where people can go online, uh, order, and then come in for uh, pickup. Uh, which has worked uh, really well too. Um, we So they order online and then they pick up and it's ready for them to yes. take. Yeah, and there's no commission there, right? I mean, right. it's coming to us. Uh, we've introduced our own app as well in, in the oh. last month um, where part of the program there is uh, DoorDash Drive. Um, and so you can go on the app, you can order, you can either come and pick it up uh, or you can have it delivered uh, through uh, DoorDash Drive. And the percentage there is a, a little less than uh, uh, compared to uh, the others. Um, you know, yeah, skip the dishes or uh, I, I know Teka does talk. Uh, 
which has been really good with them uh, for them uh, as well. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I think as much as we hate them uh, because they, they charge so much, I mean, I think it, it, it's something that we need to do right now. For sure. And you mentioned Enoteca. Um, are you doing delivery at Enoteca as well? We are, yeah. No, uh, Chef Kyle, uh, our partner there, uh, is uh, been doing an incredible job. He's gotten the menu onto talk and he's got meal kits um, there and, and uh, uh, menus for uh, like four. Um, so it's been really good for Enoteca itself and, and even eye-opening in the sense of what can be done uh, given the situation, right? I mean, I know that pivot has been used a lot uh, during lot. the time, uh, but it, that, it, it, that's what it is. I mean, it's uh, the willingness to change, right? So how much have your sales been impacted, if you don't mind me asking? I mean, obviously every restaurant out there their sales have been obliterated and obviously what you're doing is helpful, but it's never going to recoup everything you've lost. Is there a range that uh, you can mention? Uh, and that's just it, uh, Rosanna. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, everything that we're doing, um, it's, it's helpful. And, and we're, we're here today, uh, a year later, which is incredible. I mean, uh, you know, could we say that a year Earlier, I, I don't know, because I mean, it, it's it was hard to to know where things were going. Um, but I mean, our, our sales uh, dropped about fifty percent. Fifty, uh, yeah. Uh, which is difficult, and it's hard to to swallow. But uh, of course, it is. It's it's been something that we sort of have to manage and and work through, right? So how have you felt about um, the various supports that have been provided to the industry through government? Um, I know in the early days you know, the government seemed to move pretty fast to give some loan supports and some rent assistance. There's been a lot of controversy about the rent portion of that until they changed that. How do you feel about those supports? Were they able to help you in a way that, uh, you know, had they not been there would have been a lot different, obviously. Tell us about your feelings oh, on that. Yeah, no, um, 100%. I, I mean, I think if that support from the government, um, with uh, the subsidies, whether it's rent or whether it's employee, I, I mean, if those were not there, I mean, we'd probably be having a, a different conversation um, today, right? Uh, I, I think, you know, is their system a little lacking or needing attention? I mean, yeah, sure. But I mean, given these these uh, circumstances and, and COVID and everything that's happened, I, I think, you know, it's been good and it's been very helpful on our end as far as, um, you know, maintaining. Do you feel that the industry associations out there have done their jobs in speaking up for the restaurant industry? And I know the industry is very fragmented. You have big restaurants and big chains and small independents, and it isn't always easy to speak on behalf of the entire industry. How do you feel they've done? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think as a community, as a, a sort of food service industry community, um, and guests uh, supporting the, the restaurants themselves. I, I think it's been that sort of, you know, we need help, you know, look at us and, you know, um, do what you can. And I think for the most part, everyone has done uh, what they they could and in, in helping. I mean, I know at the beginning, there was also all this, uh, you know, safe hospitality and uh, a bunch of restaurants that were on board. And that's uh, right. You know, in trying to sort of work through things and, and bring things to light uh, to try and make a difference, right? So uh, I think everyone, when you're given a crisis, 
um, there's something that's sort of uh, like a switch that uh, turns on and uh, you're in survival mode um, and you try to do uh, what you need to do and to do the best that you can do to sort of come uh, out of it um, better than when you went in before. So I, I think bringing it to light and, and sort of um, talking about it and uh, uh, trying to make that difference is, is made, a, uh, made a difference. So. so you mentioned, you know, crisis and what that does. And really, you know, when you look at the past year from the industry point of view, I think the crisis has really um, spurred a lot of innovation from the industry, things that perhaps would never have been done. Like you mentioned, Enotech is doing meal kits. You know, you're talking about new products, like new pizza products that you introduced. Um, what do you see as any additional innovative ways that the restaurants can exist during this crazy time? Because as much as we like to think we're, you know, we're coming out of this, we're going through another wave now in Toronto and other parts of the country. And we're in a, in, in a similar terrible state. What more can you do from the restaurant in terms of innovation that perhaps hasn't been done yet? Um, I'm not sure who said it, but uh, wasn't there someone who said that uh, don't waste a good crisis? Um, I think know? it was Winston Churchill. Okay, there you go. See, I should remember that. Um, <laughs> you will now. <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it's been a little crazy. And as far as the innovation is concerned, I mean, we every week meet and we discuss to see what we can uh, do differently. Um, you know, uh, the direction of the restaurants, adding the Sicilian, adding the New York uh, to the menus themselves. Uh, and Oteca doing the pasta kits and doing the meal kits for, for guests, you know, selling sauces, um, you know, setting up a pantry at the front of the restaurant uh, so that people are allowed to uh, buy wine and, you know, our Negronis uh, in little bottles. So, I mean, these are all, all ideas that, you know, right now uh, during this time are different uh, to what a restaurant um, is used to. Um, and I, I think it is great and innovative. Um, and I, I think it's something that will um, evolve the restaurant into where it's going to look, I think, a little different uh, when we get back to uh, normal uh, uh, situations. So uh, I'm excited for it because I, I, I mean, I think change, change is good. Uh, change sometimes needs to happen, you know, so. What do you think the industry needs more from the government that they haven't received yet? Because realistically, if we go through another wave and we're still in lockdown like we are now, how much more can restaurants take? I guess that's the question. Uh, yeah, I, again, I mean, that's that's a, a hard question because, I mean, I can speak for Pizzeria Loretto. Um, as long as these subsidies are in place, as long as, you know, uh, we're supported by the guests that are in the neighborhoods. Um, I, I think that that will help. Um, hopefully with the vaccinations uh, happening, um, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel is closer than uh, we see it and we can get out of this um, somewhat unscathed. But uh, again, I mean, the support um, is needed and welcomed. Um, and I, I think it's something that needs to sort of uh, continue until we're out of this. All right. 
Yeah, there's been a lot of talk recently that, you know, there's a lot more pushing um, on the government to continue these subsidies until at least the end of the year. That, that would be great. 100%. That would be uh, fantastic, right? So uh, I, I know that it would help a lot of restaurants um, to, to get through this. I mean, you, it, it's, it's kind of the, it's a shame driving around, walking around and just seeing a lot of stores, restaurants that have just closed down, right? I, I mean, uh, it, it's just one of those things that, you know, you see and you sort of say, you know, it, it's real and it can happen. Um, so for sure. It, yeah, it's difficult. And hopefully we can um, get out of this. Uh, 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 yeah. So Rocco, when, when you look at the past year um, as a leader, it's probably changed a lot of your leadership style and how you deal with things um, because of this crisis. What's, um, what's been your biggest challenge in dealing with the crisis as a leader and keeping you know, the staff that you do have motivated and you know, encouraged and positive during a time when all of us are feeling so anxious and so frustrated at, you know, being in a lockdown continuously. I mean, Toronto is one of the most locked down cities in North America. How, how do you lead during this kind of time? Um, with compassion, I think. Um, it's, it, it is a difficult time. And as a, a leader, you know, I come from a background where the chef, when I was coming up, you know, I've gotten tongs thrown at me. I've got yelled at. <laughs> I, it, but it's true, you know, and you sort of come through that. And, you know, I reached a, a point in my career where I said, I don't want that. I, I don't want to be that that person. Um, so uh, as far as my leadership uh, style is concerned, I mean, I do lead by example. Um, even during these times, I mean, I'm in the kitchen with them. Uh, I'm cooking with them. Um, you know, I try to communicate uh, as best as possible uh, with them so that, uh, and I, I think that that's the biggest thing where, you know, there's that lack of communication is where sometimes lines can get blurred or not understood or uh, 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 confused. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think if, if you um, communicate uh, on a regular basis and, uh, you know, I, I think there's a, a better chance of understanding on uh, all levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I try to also, you know, as an owner, um, try to remember everybody's name, um, which I know is a small thing, but, you know, you walk into a, a restaurant and you sort of can call someone by their name. I, I, I feel like that would make uh, a difference, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I think over the course of the year, uh, communication has been really big and, you know, mm -hmm. passion as well and understanding and knowing where where and, and what the other person um, has been through or is going through, right? So. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, being in the kitchen, you've had chefs throwing things at you. And, and those stories, I mean, as much as we laugh about them now, they're legion in the industry. And there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of that happening in the past. And thankfully, the industry's changed a lot since then. However, there's still, um, there's still, talk that the industry really needs to improve on so many fronts. And we've been through a year where we've seen, you know, uh, anti-racism pro protest in the streets all over North America and the world, really. We've had uh, calls for, you know, not just saving hospitality, but changing hospitality for the better. 
How do you think the industry needs to improve and what can be done to make sure that, you know, we don't waste this crisis too and say, you know, we need to do some things differently. What can we be doing differently as an industry to improve uh, the way people feel about working in this industry? Now, um, that's a loaded question. Uh, It is. uh, In that uh, itself, uh, you know, I see it, um, as change as a good thing, you know, taking steps to listen and improve in all aspects of the industry. You know, I think it's necessary um, if you want to grow and become better. I mean, it's so hard because is there a right or wrong answer? I mean, I don't think there's one set answer, you know, um, to something like that. I think it has to be something that is instead, um, you know, slow, uh, and steady, uh, uh, almost uh, as a, a progression, um, and learning from uh, every aspect that uh, arises. Um, and I think that that's sort of what sets it apart. Where if you can sort of acknowledge and and uh, identify it, and then learn from it, and then move forward from it, right? That's a good point because a lot of people aren't willing to see that there is a problem, right? So how can you change it if you don't see that it exists? A hundred percent. So it does exist. So So do you think this crisis that we've lived through for the last year will change this industry down the road? I mean, I've heard people tell me recently that, um, you know, it may prevent students from wanting to come into this industry because of all the problems of the past year. Are you worried about that in terms of labor and labor shortages that might, I mean, labor shortages have been around forever, but will they get worse? They, they, They've been around for forever. I mean, yes, I've also heard, you know, there's going to be uh, labor shortages uh, in the restaurant industry. Uh, people are not going to want to work in this industry. I started cooking when I was about 16 years old. Um, and I was cooking for friends and I've always enjoyed um, cooking. Uh, it's just one of those things that was in me from an early age, you know, watching my mom in the kitchen and, and learning from her. Um, I, I feel like there's going to be people out there that are going to feel the same way. I feel like there's going to be uh, students that um, always have that urge or hunger to learn uh, to cook or to learn more about cooking or to, uh, you know, learn from someone uh, uh, about cooking. Um I don't, there might be shortages now. I mean, given the, the COVID in this past year, I feel people have probably sort of grown and maybe decided, you know what, I want to try something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they've sort of said, uh, this is a good time for change, uh, you know? So I think there's always going to be um, people that would want to work in the industry. Uh, I would not want to work in any other industry uh, than the food industry. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we'll definitely get through this. I think there, there may be uh, a few bumps along the way, but hopefully uh, we'll get out uh, better and stronger. So you're confident that passion will really continue to fuel people's interest in the industry? Is that a little dreamy, Rosanna? Is that a little... No, you know? I, I think a lot of people in this industry are driven by passion. You know, it's that love of food in the industry. That's what propels you forward, right? For, yeah, no, for, for me, it, it's... And I say this a lot and people think it's a little cheesy, but for, for me, it, it's sort of 
even watching the guests take that first bite of food that you've just prepared for them, you know, and getting that expression from them. Um, you know, is that going to change? I, I don't think so. I think there's always going to be guests that are going to want to go out and have that social aspect, mm-hmm. uh, sitting down and having a glass of wine with a friend, a family member, a colleague, or, or whatever the case is. I, sure. I, I think, you know, that aspect of food and, and eating and enjoying um, will be... You hit on an interesting point there when you say just watching someone eating your food and having that reaction. It's not creepy. It's not creepy. No, that, that, that is, I've heard that from so many operators and chefs who say that's what keeps them going is to see that reaction. But I'm thinking in the last year, nobody's been able to see that reaction because there's been so much takeout and delivery. And also now with the growth and the trend of ghost kitchens, where, yes. you know, food is just prepared without, you know, you, you just pick it up and you take it. We're missing that. And I wonder, you know, is that going to be the future of dining, you know, where people just want food that's taken away and they're not going to have that same enjoyment in, you know, in a physical restaurant? Or do you worry about that? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think in the industry itself, I, I mean, our ghost kitchens, our restaurants, um, going to change uh, given uh, COVID and what they've had to gone through? Uh, yeah, uh, of course. But is it going to change someone's um, want to go into a restaurant and, you know, sit down and enjoy a meal and a glass of wine? I, I, I don't think so. I, I, I hope I'm, I'm correct on this, but I, I don't think that that's going to change. Well, I think most of us miss restaurants so much, having been away from them for this past year. And it, yeah, I mean, if we even look at places like Australia that have sort of gone through it right now and are sort of, what are they, case-free for... Uh, I know, it's amazing. A while, and, you know, they're almost like back to normal. And you see the people at the restaurants and you see the people enjoying, right? So Yeah, I think there's going to be so much pent-up demand for people wanting to go back to restaurants as quickly as possible. So Rocco, when you look at this past year and as a way to wrap up our interview today, um, what have been some of the biggest lessons for you that you've learned through this pandemic as it relates to your business? And and I know there's personal lessons and there's professional ones, but what are some of the biggest takeaways for you? Uh, Yeah, um, you know, uh, change. I'm going to say that again. And I know I've said it uh, quite a bit here, but uh, you need to be open to change and you need to be open to innovation. Um, you need to think outside the box. You need to sort of rethink what you're doing uh, on a regular basis. I, I think that that even for a company that's been around for years and you know is doing a good thing, if they're not constantly looking at what they're doing and how they're doing it and how they're uh, uh, acting on the guest or the consumer or whoever they're mm-hmm. uh, selling to, I, I mean, I, I think you're just going to, uh, fall flat. I think you always have to sort of look at yourself and uh, see how you're doing it and what you're doing and adjust as needed um, and and innovate and don't stop. I mean, I mean, I think, like I said, change is, is good and uh, we need to sort of uh, do that um, a bit more. We need to be a bit more compassionate uh, as far as uh, what uh, the last year's brought on, right? Um, sure. So, yeah. Um- 
And I think maybe during this past year, having so much more time to focus on your business probably has helped you see your business in different ways, I would assume. You know, you've had your eye so close on the ball during this pandemic, where when you're busy, sometimes you're in so many different areas that you're missing what's right in front of you. Do you, do you feel like that's happened? A hundred percent. I mean, something that, you know, um, I didn't even mention uh, with this interview is one of the things that one of the things that we've um, we've done during this pandemic is, um, and it was a discussion that we were having about six years ago, uh, but the pandemic has allowed us to um, move forward with it. Is is frozen pizza? I mean, uh, oh. thing that you know we weren't really thinking about because we were busy with. Um, the restaurants uh, and serving guests, but right. pandemic has sort of allowed us to uh, create something that is, you know, unique uh, and different in, in the market. And um, we've, yeah, we've gotten some great uh, reviews. We're in like 27 grocery stores right now. So, oh, I had no idea. So, where are you? Major grocery stores in Ontario or? Uh, uh, across Ontario in Kingston. Uh, we're in uh, Pusateries. We're uh, in rural farms. Uh, so not, none of the big stores uh, right now, but uh, always looking to sort of uh, grow um, as we... And how is it going? Really well, yeah. I mean, we have four pizzas that we have on offer. We have our uh, tr- tr- uh, traditional uh, margarita pizza. We have a pepperoni, uh, our mushroom pizza as well, and uh, a vegan uh, margarita too. That's fabulous. Yeah. And you said it's available in 27 stores? About 27 stores across Ontario and Kingston, so. Wow, that's that's fabulous. Congratulations on that. So that's something you'll continue to do even once the pandemic is over, or? 100%, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things that uh, we've sort of uh, uh, done and, and worked towards to uh, making bigger and better. Excellent. Any other new ideas like that that you're working on that you can share? Uh, no, I think that, that was the biggest one, and I, I think, yeah. Well, that's fabulous. Good luck with that. Thank you. Well, Rocco, I know it's been a really tough year for for everybody. And um, I guess as we get into, uh, you know, closer to summer and we get through this vaccination program, we hope we'll all be back to normal soon and that we can return to your great restaurants and uh, continue to enjoy some of your um, passion that you're putting on the plate. So thank you so much for, for taking the time today. I really have enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you, Rosanna. I've really enjoyed uh, uh, having this chat with you. It's uh, been great. Yeah. Wonderful. Hope to having a glass of wine. <laughs> glass of wine and pizza. <laughs> well, thanks again and stay safe. Thank you. You too. Take care. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.